Thanks, Jen, and good evening. My name is Paul. If I haven't met you, it's lovely to see you. Let me wish you a, a very happy new year. Uh, these four Sundays in January, we're going to look at four different uh, one another verses. So in the Bible, there's over 100 times it uses that phrase, is one another. Uh, pray for one another, encourage one another, carry one another's burdens, build one another up, don't complain against one another, don't slander one another. And our verse for today is this, it's live in peace with one another. Over, the, over a third of the times we use that one another phrase, a third of the times about unity or peace within God's church. So 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 13 says, live in peace with one another. That's our verse for today. I'll give a, a red or... Heard of Robinson Crusoe, that, that story of the obstinate Englishman? Uh, his, his father actually wanted him to become an Anglican clergyman, but he thought he knew better. Good on him. Uh, he decided to travel overseas, and he, quickly, 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 he was shipwrecked. And you know the story, he ends up on this idyllic island. It's beautiful, this island. The food is wonderful. The climate is perfect. The scenery is amazing. But this man is totally and utterly unhappy. Why? He's got good food. He's got good weather. He's got beautiful scenery. What's, what's missing? And what's missing is people. He, he lacks the basic human need that we all need, which is community, other people. We need other people. And the Bible says it's not good for people to be alone. We were created for relationships. We're, we're created for community. And what is true of every human being is true in your faith. That when you were saved by God, you're not just saved from hell, you're, you're saved into a community. And that community is called the church. Because God in his wisdom has created this thing called the church, these people that gather together. See, Robinson Crusoe Christianity is, a, is an anomaly. This idea of trying to do your Christian life, trying to live the Christian life all by yourself, is profoundly unwise. God created church. And we're supposed to be this, this perfect community where we care for each other, we love each other, we carry one another's burdens, we pray for each other, we don't slander each other, and we live in peace with one another. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, I love this quote. One of the primary activities of the church is one anothering one another. We meet for the sake of other people. It's that joy of walking alongside another person and doing life with that person. Now, of course, you can't do that if you never meet together. And, and you can't do that if you just come and sit in the same pew each week and don't talk to each other. Now, our theme for 20, 2021 is a year of loving your neighbor, the year of loving your neighbor. Well, can I say it starts here in church? It is not just about loving our community, it's loving each other well in church. So we started with this verse, live in peace with each other. Because peace has come. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Peace had come, yeah? The angels sang, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Peace on whom God's favor rests. And so what, what the Bible says is because Christ has come, 
Peace has come. And so if you're here tonight as a Christian and you, you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Saviour, you can say, I have peace with God. That's extraordinary. You have peace with your maker through the, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you know that peace with God? But it's more than that. You have the peace of God. You have this deep-seated inner peace that is inexplicable. It passes all understanding. It gives you this, this calmness in all the chaos, this security in all the storms of life. So you have peace with God. You have the peace of God. But if you're claiming to have peace with God and peace of God, the, the application, the expectation, and the privilege is that you're called to have peace with other people. You're called to pursue peace with other people. That's commanded. It's to the church, but it's very complex. It is commanded, so this is not an optional extra. If you're claiming to have peace with God and the peace of God, you are called to pursue peace with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's just a few verses that are on the screen. Just a few of the men I could have chosen. Mark 9, verse 50, we had read from the lips of Jesus. Be at peace with one another. Romans 12, verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Romans 14, verse 19, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11, strive, that's pursue, make the effort for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind and live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Colossians 3, verse 15, let the, the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 13, live in peace with one another. And Hebrews 12, verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Now that's pretty clear. Time and time and time again, God commands us, God calls us to pursue peace, to live in peace and to live in harmony. But these verses are talking about the church. He's not talking about living in peace with the world. And then many times the church cannot live at peace with the world. We're called to be in the world but not of the world. And sometimes a worldly leader will make a decision that we as Christians just cannot agree to. Or sometimes the, the cultural norms or societal norms are things that we as Christians can't subscribe to. He's not talking about that. He's talking about in the church with your brothers and sisters in Christ, how you relate to each other. As I say, it's very complex because there are thousands and thousands of things that can and do cause division and disunity in God's church. There's our personalities. And we've always got people in church when you're thinking, I don't really like that person. I don't really get along with that person. They just annoy me. They might annoy you. You're not called to be best friends with them, but they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so you must be in harmony with them. Or there's theological differences. I think the church is very good at finding things to fight over. Now, of course, there are black and white doctrinal issues that you must never compromise on. 
But it's crazy how much disunity and division and fighting occurs over secondary issues. I have to say, some Christians seem to love fighting over theology. They salivate the idea of fighting over doctrine. They put their boxing gloves on. Now, sometimes you can disagree with somebody but still be united in Christ. And sometimes as a pastor, we need to learn to say, actually, I was wrong on that issue, and you were right. And then we just have personal preferences. If I had a dollar for every time someone at church said, this is not the way we do things here. We've always done it this way. The change isn't always bad, is it? And again, some people have this personality where they just, they just love to think the worst of everybody, think the worst scenarios. And I do think sometimes in church we have this, this knack of, of taking a handful of, of minor, tiny, minuscule frustrations and we put them all together and we weed them together into this tapestry into a major conflict. Well, I just think we're good at mishearing or misunderstanding. So there are thousands of things that can cause division and hurt and resentments and factions and fighting, and I find that incredibly sad. Because brothers and sisters, it should not be. It should not be we're called to live in peace with each other. Now, that does not mean we won't disagree. It's okay to disagree. It's what you do with your disagreements that matters. We can, we should, we must pursue peace. So I want to give you four key words to help you live in peace. And they're all from Ephesians chapter 4. It's on the screen. Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Here's our first word. The word is humility that Sam's already mentioned. Humility. Paul says, be completely humble. Be marked by your humility. Let humility just ooze out of you. It's what James said in our reading from James 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? You claim to be wise? Well, let them show it by their good life, by the deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Let your deeds be marked by humility, not by pride. So living at peace is going to begin with, with you and me having our right attitude towards ourself. Who am I? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a child of the King. I'm not inferior. I'm not superior. We're all equal. We're all one in Christ Jesus, aren't we? It's that humility to say, I might be wrong. It's that humility to say, you know what? I don't always have to be right. It's that humility to say, you know, it's not really about me or my desires or my wants or my likes. It's about the kingdom of God. I love the, the, the story of the, the true story of the, the two men who are kneeling at the communion of the church in England. One is a judge, a high court judge, and the other is a convicted criminal who's just been released from jail. These two men taking bread and wine to go to the communion rail. After church, the, the judge says to the pastor, did you see who I was kneeling next to at the, at the rail today? He said, oh, I did see, but I was hoping you didn't see. 
And the judge said this, what, a, what an amazing miracle of grace. And the pastor said, yeah, it isn't it amazing that God could save a sinner like that man? I just, I'm not talking about that man, I'm talking about me. I'm the amazing miracle of grace. You know, by the world standard, I'm a good man, I'm well educated, I went to church every week, I, I went to Oxford, I studied for the bar, I'm a successful lawyer. But God opened my eyes to my need for a saviour. I'm a walking miracle of grace. Is that how you see yourself? When you start to see yourself and every other person as a miracle of grace, you stop looking down on other people. You stop being competitive. You stop the jealousy and the fighting, and you actually start to look for good in everybody. See, so the world says, be self-confident, be self-reliant, be self-promoting, tell yourself you are somebody, stand up for what you want. Be proud. And God says it's that opposite. God says be humble. Don't think highly of yourself. But see, think of yourself rightly. What, what's the opposite of humility? It's, proud, it's pride. Now, are we too proud to say sorry? Are we too proud to seek reconciliation? Or are we too proud to admit that we were wrong? In our passage in James, James uses two different words to describe the outworking of pride. Let me read them to you. James 3, verse 14. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom doesn't come from heaven. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. But where you have envy and selfish ambition... There you'll find disorder and every evil practice. If you want to ensure that there's disunity and disorder in the church, let's just be full of envy and selfish ambition. If you walk into church every week and you spot somebody who's got what you want and your heart is jealous, then don't be surprised if you're not at peace with them. If you walk into church and you're thinking, what about me, 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 me? I like this song. I don't like this song. What about my needs? It's all about self. And that is worldly. That causes fighting and factions and disharmony. You ever seen little kids fighting on Christmas Day over a toy? I want it. Why can't I have it? It's not fair, Mum. It's not fair, Dad. It's ugly. And kids sulk. They snatch. They shout. They scream until they get their own way. And that can happen in church sometimes, you know. It's just that we hide it better. We manipulate or we give the cold shoulder or we just get a bit grumpy. James 4 verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels among you in church? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you, your pleasures, your desires, your self-gratification, your self-importance? Most disunity comes from pride. That's why Paul says in Romans 12 verse 16, live in harmony with one another and do not be proud. Do not be proud. But clothe yourself in that humility. So where does that come from? What, what's your model of humility? And the answer, of course, is Jesus Christ. Philippians 2. You should be, have the same attitude as Christ, who did not consider equality with God so to be grasped, but humbled himself and made himself nothing. That's our first word, be humble. 
Our, our second word, we want, to, we want to live in peace. Be gentle. Be very gentle with each other. Ephesians 2 verse, 4 verse 2 again. Be completely humble and, and gentle. Uh, that, that word gentle, it's not weak. It doesn't mean being a bit sipid. It's actually a word of great strength. It's that strength under control. It's like, it's like the, the, the father who is strong, is powerful, and is holding their newborn child who is fragile. Have you ever seen that? A father holding a newborn child. He is the strong one, but when that child is in his arms, he is so gentle. He's kind, he's caring, he's loving, he, he's thinking what's best for the person, how to use his gifts and his strength and his power for the good of another person. That's being gentle. And I want to focus here on our tongues because we must be gentle with the words that come out of our mouth. Sadly, many, many churches are full of slander, gossip, grumbling, complaining, and tearing each other down. That's not living in peace. That's why James 4.11 says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Don't speak badly of each other. Don't put each other down with your words. That bickering, that malice, that brooding, it destroys a church. Now, please don't tell me it's nothing personal. You always fight with them. It is personal. You're attacking their character. And please don't tell me, I'll I'll go and complain to other people. That's called gossip. And please don't say, well, I just turned a blind eye. I'll just give them the cold shoulder at church. That's being childish. Now, being gentle with your words is going to mean listening well to the other person. Sit down with them. And before you speak and before you complain and before you attack, listen. Listen to them. Why are they doing this? Why are they saying this? Why are they feeling like this? Ask questions. Seek clarification. Identify any hurts, but listen. And being gentle is going to mean you speak kindly. Choose your words very carefully. Get rid of negative words. Get rid of black and white statements. Think about whether this word is going to build them up or tear them down. Please assume the best in people. It's not about winning an argument. It's about saving that soul and caring for the other person. Towards the end of Romans, Paul challenges these strong Christians who think they're always right and stand up for what they believe in. Romans 14, verse 12, Therefore, let's stop passing judgment on one another. Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So be gentle. Why? Because our God is gentle, isn't he? So be humble because God is humble. Be gentle because God is, is, is gentle. Number three, be patient. See that word patience? It means, being, it means having a long fuse. We are slow to anger and we're very quick to forgive. We are slow to retaliate and we're very quick to reconcile. So every time in church when somebody provokes you, you can choose self-control. And every time in church when you are frustrated with someone, you can patiently 
walk alongside them and wait and seek explanation. You don't always need to say what you think or what you want at that moment. In 1 Peter 3, verse 11, Peter says, seek peace and pursue it. Pursue peace. Again, that word is a, a long haul, endurance word. It's, it's not a sprint. It's not a quick thing. It often takes a long, slow process to be patient with other people. Because here's the thing. Church is full of people. And people sometimes don't change at the pace or the rate that you want them to change. So you walk alongside them slowly, patiently, working on restoration. One of my favorite passages, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 13, live in peace with each other. He goes on, we urge you, brothers and sisters, to warn those who are idle and disruptive. So if someone's destroying the disunity, you challenge them and you patiently walk alongside them. Encourage the disheartened, help the weak. Be patient with everyone. But here's the thing, make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong. So that patience to work on forgiveness, that patience to, to bear with each other and to seek that forgiveness. You've got to learn to forgive each other. A church that's full of grudges that you hold on to, hurts that are festering, where you're seeking revenge and retaliation is a disunited, a divided, horrible church. As the movie Frozen would say, just let it go, let it go, let it go. Let go of it. Learn to forgive. Remember that passage in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, where Jesus is talking about these two men in the temple. One is sitting in church, rather, and one is in church, and he's, he's just remembered there's some wrong against his brother. He says, go and be reconciled with, the, with your brother or your sister before you sit in church. It's the same here. That's why in the prayer book, you know, the, the, the minister says, the peace of God be with you. And the, the, the people say, and also with you. And they say, let's offer one another a sign of peace. It's that moment, before you come and take the Lord's Supper together, if there is festering hurts, make sure that you've forgiven each other. But that time to work through forgiveness, it is costly, it is hard, it is painful. Believe me, I know that. It is so painful. But when you learn to forgive someone who has so deeply hurt you, it is so freeing. It is so liberating. They might not ask for forgiveness. But when in your heart and in your head you've actually resolved to forgive them, then you've been set free. You've been set free from any potential bitterness. My observation is that this lack of peace is often caused because, because we're just not patient through working through this forgiveness. And be patient. You know, trusting in God's justice. You may not get justice on this earth, but trust that one day justice will come. So be patient for that. So we want to live in peace. Be humble. Be gentle. Be patient. What's the last phrase? Make every effort. Put in the hard yards. Do the hard work at pursuing peace. And make every effort, says Paul, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You see that? 
We're not called to create peace. God has already created peace. We are brothers and sisters. We have peace with God. We have this inner peace. We do have peace with each other. It's just that we're good as people at destroying that peace. Rather than enjoying it, we destroy it. So make every effort to, to keep it, to maintain it. That's a choice you've got. It's like being a family, isn't it? Now, if you're part of a family, you know that sometimes it's hard work, isn't it? To live at peace in a family, it takes effort. Same in church. Hebrews 12, verse 14, make every effort to live in peace. Sweat over it, feel the pain. And can I say the effort must start with, with self. It's got to start with you. Rather than expecting everybody else to put in the hard yards, you put in the hard yards in your own life. Now We all, we all love quoting the fruit of the Spirit. The, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. But the problem is that We've got our old nature there. Galatians 5 reminds us that the acts of the flesh are obvious. And they include jealousy, discord, fits of rage, selfish ambition. That old self is still there in each one of us. So to put in the effort to, to fight against your sin, to throw off the sin that entangles, and, and to bear the fruit of the Spirit is hard work. Every conflict comes with a cost. But when you take that time and that effort to do the hard work on yourself, when you examine your own, your own heart and say, how did I contribute to this conflict? What did I do wrong here? I found personally that putting in the effort to pray, to pray for somebody who has hurt you deeply, it is profoundly liberating. And when you pray for them by name, day after day after day, the Spirit of God just changes your attitude towards that person. I love this quote. In church, please pursue peace with a person, not just pursue another church. Because so often in church, when we experience disharmony, when we experience disunity, our knee-jerk reaction is to jump ship and find another church. You're not dealing with the problem. You're just taking the problem to another church. But sometimes, you know, you put in all the effort. You have been humble. You have been gentle. You have been patient. But there's still disharmony. A, a verse that's precious to me is Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 17. Do not, pay, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Here it is, verse 18. If it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, but do not take revenge. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, so have you done everything possible to be reconciled? Have you done everything possible to pursue peace? Examine your heart. Have you done it all? Now, sadly, sometimes, sometimes you've done everything you can, but the other person is just not willing to budge or refuses to listen. But keep putting the effort. And can you put the effort to what I call stay salty? It's that great verse from Mark 9, verse 50. Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. This idea of getting salty. And I know that the world has that phrase, 
get salty as a negative thing. It means to get angry. The Bible says the exact opposite. To get salty means that you flavor yourself with the love of God. You flavor yourself with God himself. So when you speak, you're speaking for God. When you ooze godliness, you ooze humility, you ooze gentleness, you ooze patience, you're salty again. So when you walk closely with the Lord and you're humble like him and gentle like him and patient like him and forgiving like him, then perhaps people will look at the church and go, well, they're different because they live in peace with each other. They pursue reconciliation and they love harmony. Now here's why it's worth it. It's a great promise from our Lord Jesus Christ. It's from Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Isn't that beautiful? Happy, blessed, joyful, satisfied, content, walking closely with the Lord are the men and women who pursue peace, who don't hold on to hurts, who don't just ignore conflict, but just seek this church to be a place where we're known We work hard at our harmony and we do live in peace with each other. We are about to take the the Lord's Supper. But before we do that, can I just ask you to stop? Before you take bread and before you take juice, just sit quietly. If there's anybody in this church that you're out of fellowship with, if there's anybody in your life that you need to pursue reconciliation with. Just do business with God in your heart right now and just ask the Spirit of God to actually give you that heart to be reconciled, to live at peace with them.